the cells. Anybody that wants to come, but we'd love to gather cells to pray together on the first Friday of each month. And we're just going to call it prayer first. That way you'll remember it's the first Friday. Okay, on Fridays. We're going to meet right here on the first Friday of the month. Say that with me. Prayer first. First Friday. Okay, good. 7, 8.30, and uh, there's lots to be praying about, isn't there? You know, and looking at the things coming up. And in fact, National Day of Prayer, just below that on the 7th. A week after that's the community prayer breakfast. And we just believe that God is moving in our community. One of the things we want to pray for, of course, next Friday is the coming events on Sunday evening, which are all invited to be with us to celebrate uh, Pastor Mike and Trish in 17 years of being on staff here with us, and and then also the second and third next week, and then uh, they'll be installed as pastors. And Trish just came up and blessed me and hugged me and said, thanks for 23 years, and crying and ran off to go to the Foursquare Church this morning. And, and uh, that's probably a good place for her. She's the pastor's wife. <laughs> Amen. And uh, they've been just busy. A lot of you have been helping them. God bless you for your help to them and getting them you know, the building up and running and different things, moving stuff, and there's still more to go. But we're going to get together next Sunday night at Pine Summit at 5, and uh, you do need to let us know if you're coming. That's the bottom left-hand part of the page. It is $12 adults, $6 for kids. And <clears throat> we're just going to spend the evening blessing them and loving on them, bringing gifts. And uh, you can bring cards, you can bring letters, you can prepare remarks. If you're going to pre- prepare some remarks to make publicly, I would like to know about that because I'm going to need to line those up so that they fit. Not so that they're fitting, but you, that's up to you. But I need to make sure they fit in the evening, okay, and we don't end up there too long. Um, so let me know if you're planning on doing that. But gift cards and, uh, you know, out-to-dinner stuff and cash offerings, write checks, bless them. I'm looking for us to bless them big. I mean big like maybe a couple of months' worth of salary big would be great. The church here, by the way, is, uh, and I sent out a note to the members yesterday, uh, the elders and the board here a little while back concluded to um, underwrite this move for the Ericsons with two months of full salary and a month of vacation pay that would cover them through April, May, and June. And so that they could literally be released from here on April 1st to work first 90 days without being concerned about that part of their uh, their needs. And so, God bless you. You may have not have known that, but uh, we did that for them to, in your name, really. You know, you're doing it with us, and we're doing it together. So we've launched them, and I'm thinking if we could come into that dinner with some uh, some real blessings, you know, some financial offerings and things like that. And you can give them cash. You can write checks to us. You can write checks to them. If you write one to us, we're going to 1099 them, which means they're going to pay taxes on your gift. If you give it straight to them, it's just a gift, and you can figure out how to write that off on your own. But it'll all go to them, you know. So that's just the one sticking point there. But let's bless them. I'm hoping we can raise enough to, you know, cover them for a couple of more months as they continue to expand the growth of the church and let the church can hold them up on their own. Is that a good plan? That's a good plan. Amen. And uh, I'm believing it's going to work well. So there's lots of things in here to pay attention to. You know, you need tickets for that dinner. You need tickets to the prayer breakfast. You need to be at the prayer meeting. You need to do all this stuff. They do all this stuff. Run to the law here, you know. You've got to be at everything. Let's see. Now, last night I preached out of Habakkuk. This morning I'm going to preach out of Jeremiah. And maybe a little Habakkuk, too. We'll see. Jeremiah chapter 1. I picked Jeremiah this morning because Habakkuk's too hard for you to find. Just kidding. It's too hard for me to find. Jeremiah chapter 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. To whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. Verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And then said I, Oh, Lord God, uh, behold, I cannot speak. I'm, I'm only a youth. The Lord said to me, don't say I'm a youth. 
For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down, to build, and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. And the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. Father, would you help us this morning? Holy Spirit, would you give us the words to speak and say that you desire to communicate to our hearts? Lord, you've brought uh, this group of people here this morning to hear from you, not me. Less of me, more of you, in Jesus' name. Amen. The specific calling of Jeremiah has so much in it that we could run off in lots of directions, but one I think is worth noting for all of us is that before I formed you in the womb, over there our example this morning, before that little girl was formed in the womb, God knew her. Before you were formed in the womb, God knew you. He's speaking this specifically to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And, amazingly, I ordained you a prophet to the nations. I just like to have that in your baby book. First page. A little picture of wrinkly little you. Prophet to the nations. From birth. Heavy. Large. Specific, powerful, and it certainly says a lot about the whole issue of abortion, doesn't it? But that's not why we're here this morning. That's why I say there are these temptations to run off on tangents. But this is one of those great spots. And in yesterday in the encounter, Psalm 139, we covered how fearfully and wonderfully we are made and how that each one of us is designed by God. And I know that some of you are looking forward to eternal life when you get to check in the body you're wearing now and have a new one. You're looking forward to that part of eternal life. Some of us have frameworks that don't support what we want to do anymore. Some of them are absolutely rebellious and we can't seem to curtail them. But nonetheless, God formed you and He knows you. He knows you intimately and specifically and has a plan for your life. You're not a mistake. Parents make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. Right? Right? Oh, you're the little one we didn't plan on. Well, God did. Amen. Some of us want all the blessings of Abraham except for that one. Children in our old age. (laughs) But here's the purpose. (laughs) I put my words in your mouth and here's his calling. Set you over the nations. And over kingdoms. And and gives him this task. Jeremiah, by the way, you might, if you've read his book, you'll know he wasn't real popular. He did write a bestseller. But he wasn't a popular man. I mean, he was in trouble most of his life. And every time he'd open his mouth and tell the truth, he'd be punished for it somehow. He'd end up in a well or whatever, or going to captivity or something. But he said, "Here's, here's the job I've given you. Root out. Pull down destroy and throw down in order to build up and to plant. When we go through an encounter weekend like we have yesterday, and a lot of that is what we are doing. And it applies to the whole body of Christ for us this morning, That not that you're in an encounter weekend, but the same issues exist for us. There are a lot of things in our lives when we come to Christ that need to be pulled down. There are things that need to be rooted out. There are other things that literally need to be thrown down, which means we need to reject them. 
to identify them and say, this is no longer a part of who I am. I am a child of God. I've come to a realization that before I was formed in the womb, God knew me, and there is a plan for my life, and it is to bring glory and honor to Him. Therefore, this part of me can no longer exist. I throw it down. I reject it. I need to destroy some things that have become strongholds in my life. And I can't do it. How many of you are really successful at pulling down all the strongholds in your life? Huh? No, we're not very successful at it. I, I always think back of when I felt the need to quit smoking. And, and, and it's a funny story, but I won't give you all of it. But I just remember that one day after... Uh, thinking I needed to and feeling convicted by the Holy Spirit and having been filled with the Spirit, like these young ladies uh, are testifying this weekend, that my next inhale, all I could see was the Holy Spirit down inside of me going, (coughs) 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 how long are we going to do this? And I thought, I wouldn't wouldn't even do that to my best friend. You know, stand and go, (sighs) unload on them. And I thought, every time I'm breathing in, I'm doing this to the Holy Spirit. That's how I felt. I said, I'm going to quit. I'm just going to quit. Well, weeks later, I'm smoking about five times more, it seems. You know, I smoked a little bit here, and then I'm smoking more. Quit, smoke more, quit, smoke more, quit, smoke more. And finally I said, God, you have got to deliver me. That is the only way for me to be free. I cannot pull this stronghold out of my life. And... I said, I prayed two prayers. I got deliver me and take away the craving that everybody says you're going to have. And then if I ever smoke again, make me sick. The next morning I woke up, was gone. God did it. To God be the glory. Didn't want any. Didn't need any. Saved a lot of money. A year later, I'm passing by some ashtray and here's a pretty long butt. And I thought, I wonder... I'm sure I didn't think that. But the fiery darts. I wonder what it would be like after a year. I picked it up, I lit that thing up, and I took a big puff, and I started to throw up. And as I was retching, I had never had that problem. I thought, what a pansy. I started smoking as a kid, you know, a teenager, and I could do better than this. I'm retching, and, and God's over my shoulder saying, I didn't forget the second prayer. <laughs> and I had. He said, I, I remember your prayer. I said, thank you very much. And I haven't smoked since. There are some things we just have to, the need to have destroyed out of our life, and we don't have the power to do it. We don't have the personal effort. We, don't, we can make an effort. Many of us have talked about the two times in the King James Version where Paul says that we should mortify the deeds of the flesh, mortify the works of the flesh. In one passage, the the tone of the verse is this. Mortify is not a word you use very commonly anymore. But to mortify the deeds of the flesh means to grab them and wrestle them to the ground and pin them there. Hold them down. You know, deprive them of power. Take away their strength as best you can. But the picture is us sort of over the top of this thing, pinning it to the ground, and it's wiggling, and it's wanting to get up, and we're holding it there, and we're doing the very best we can. But if we let go for a second, that thing stands up and takes control again. But we're commanded by the Scriptures to do our best to wrestle it down. The other passage in Romans says that we mortify the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. You hear the prophet speaking, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so we're to do our best to pin it down, but then we must invite the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to come, and he will mortify the works of the flesh in us, which means he will grind them to powder. He will obliterate them. He will not just temporarily deprive them of strength, but he will come in and crush them and do what Jeremiah is saying. He will root out. He can pull down. He will destroy it. He will throw down those things so they cannot get up again. I'm, I'm not tempted to use the same storyline. I am not tempted today to smoke. It's just not even in the stretch of my mind. And you can apply that in the area of your life that maybe you struggle with. I'm just using it as an illustration. I'm not picking on that area. If I wanted to pick, I'd have to get a list, right, for you. (laughs) 
write them all down in this big line. We need a scroll. We don't want to do that this morning. You and the Holy Spirit know the issues you face. And it's not about condemning us in the moment. It's, it's for us coming to this realization that it has to be rooted out by God. It has to, we have to invite the power of God to come and do something in us that we cannot do. The issue for Jeremiah was to go and root out, pull down, destroy, and throw down in order that he might then build and plant. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Excuse me. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, this is the New King James Version, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It is, in fact, your rational act of worship. This is our part, presenting ourselves to God. Saying, God, here I am. I'm yours. I'm the sacrifice. I am the living sacrifice. problem with living sacrifices, they have a tendency to crawl off the altar. We put ourselves on the altar and say, Lord, and if you know anything about sacrifices in the Old Testament, the only good one was one that was totally consumed. It was burnt up. Blood was offered. The sacrifice was consumed. This is where we have our issue of saying, God, I'm going to lay myself on the altar here. But you better get me quick because I could crawl off at any given moment. But I'm a living sacrifice. That's one part of it. The other is that every day I become a lifestyle for Jesus. I become a, an announcement of his kingdom working out through me. People around me get to visually see the living representation of Christ because I'm in front of them. Because you're in front of them. That's a living sacrifice. Jesus doesn't call us to die for him entirely, except that we would live entirely for him. I think it would be easier at times to say, I'll die for you, Jesus. Because that can only happen once. But to get up every day and say, I will live for you, Jesus, requires what Paul said, I die daily. This constant giving over of who I am to him living out through me. That's what... The scripture that Ernie shared, Galatians 2.20, you know, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm still alive. But it's not me that's living. It's Christ who's living in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith that I have in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So it's not me that's alive. It's Christ. I know I've said it before, but I, I constantly remember that it's like he's the hand and I'm just the glove. Lord, slip yourself into who I am today, and I'm sorry for the weak and frame, the weak and frail framework and person that I am to offer, but it is who I am, and I offer myself to you. Would you slip your hand into this shell of a glove of who I am, and then work out your will today? Manifest yourself wherever you would like to. Demonstrate your glory through my life, and the weaker I am, the stronger you can be. The stronger I am, the more I weaken who you are in me. Verse 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, those of you who have read through Romans will understand this, and let me share with all that when we get to chapter 12, and he says, I beseech you, therefore. The therefore is referring to the first 11 chapters of his writing. All the things he has said in the first 11 chapters of Romans He's saying, basically, now, in light of all of that, here's what it means to you. Offer yourself a living sacrifice and let your mind be renewed. Here's the battle. Here's the battle you face. Here's the battle I face. It's up here. Appreciate Tina saying, what a great way to start a new family, to have an encounter with God and, and come face to face with that 2 Corinthians 517 passage that says if any man be in Christ he's a brand new creation old things are passed away all things have become new and all things are of God this is a a launching point for me in every encounter I think I've been in at least 11 10 or 11 of the 13 encounters myself but there is an encounter moment for all of us when we're in there I'm driven to my knees every time I see the passion 
I think, I did that to him. That was my sin that drove Jesus to the cross. I am responsible. I'm Caiaphas. I'm Pilate. I'm the two thieves. I'm the guy with the hammer and the nails. I'm the one that put him there and he he never got up. He laid there and let me kill him by my sin. And it drives this part of my life that says I'm going to be a living sacrifice. He died so that I could live. Should I be living for myself? No. But I've got things in my life that, like Jeremiah, need to be pulled down, need to be rooted out, need to be thrown away and destroyed so that this renewing can take place. The battle for most of us is in our heads. I'm not saying it's just our heads. I'm saying that's where the battle is. When the enemy comes to defeat you, when the enemy of your soul, you know, our three greatest enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those three things, the Bible say, are our enemies. The world, the schematic, and the design of the world around us. That worldly uh, thing that the enemy is basically in charge of, the prince of the power of the air, the design of the world that is anti-God. And it says here, don't be conformed to that schematic. That's our enemy. Who drives that is Satan himself, and he is your enemy. Yes, he's alive. Surprise, there's a real devil. Hello? I say that because I know statistically across our nation, only about 35% of people actually believe the devil's real. So if I've got 100 people sitting here, that means only 35 of us actually might believe it. It's a dangerous place to be. If I were the devil, that would be perfect for me. I would think I would want you not to believe that I existed. That would be absolutely ideal. Then I could do what I do. John 10.10 says the thief only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So I could kill you. I could destroy your life. I could steal from you all the time. And you'd never even know it was me. You'd think it was just some problem. Some unfortunate set of circumstances. And I could just rob you blind constantly. There is a real devil. And he's one of our enemies. The world, the devil, and the flesh. When I say the flesh, I'm talking about the carnal nature. That hungry appetite that's driven by the non-born again person that we used to be. And every now and then the old flesh tries to get up, doesn't he? Sometimes we actually give him CPR. You know, we're supposed to crucify the flesh and we're down there going, Come on, breathe, buddy, come on. (laughs) Get up. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you transform your mind? With this book. With a relationship with Jesus Christ. With drawing close to Him. My worst times are when I'm not close to Him. My worst times. And you know, that can happen in a heartbeat. I'm talking to people that understand this morning. You can be reading your Bible and writing in your journal and 30 minutes later... You've done the most violent and vile thing to break and crush the heart of God. And then you go, oh, I'm so sorry. And you grab your Bible again, you run back to it by the end of the day. And we are so flippant. We are so vacillating. We are so unstable. But so was Peter. Let's pick on him. <laughs> Quick, let's get the pressure off of us and get it on Peter. Simon Peter. Simon means sandy, shifty, unstable. Peter, Petra, the rock. Jesus took old shifty all the way to saying to him on this rock, you're Peter. No more Simon for you, buddy. You're Peter now. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. God wants to do it in us. Say, I'm a sandy. I'm a shifty. I'm an unstable. I'm a vacillator. I qualify to be redeemed and to be brought into a point of sonship with God and adoption by Him that says I'm a son in the house and He's made me acceptable in the beloved, the Bible says. And now He confers on me His name and His family line and He says you're a king and you're a priest. And now you stand up and start renewing your mind. 
You stand up and start taking on who I am. Start living out my character. Start allowing me to live through your life and let me demonstrate how powerful life can be. That's where we need to get to. But some of this rooting out still has to take place. In an encounter, if you were paying attention, that's how we do it. In the morning, we talk about sin. I mean, we want you to feel really sinful. (laughs) And then we show you the cross and say, this is the result of what happened because of your sin. And you feel horrible about that. And we lead lead ourselves together into a point of repentance and saying, I am so sorry for what I've done to crucify Christ. Crazy enough, after that, we have lunch. (laughs) You would think we would have ruined our appetites. But then we come back after lunch and we say, let's talk about how fearfully and wonderfully made we are now that we're new in Christ. And we remind ourselves that we're created in His image and that He has a plan for us. And then a little later in the afternoon, we talk about closing all the open doors that we may have opened along the way in our life and how we need to close them. Things we used to be involved in. And we're going to specifically challenge and renunciate those things. You know? Sometimes there are things that we didn't even design. We don't know they even were, were an open door. I, I shared a story of myself yesterday that I got invited to a party in high school up here. I shouldn't say that. I was of high school age. It wasn't at the high school. I was of high school age. You know, and everybody gets together and says, hey, there was a party over here. They're going to be doing Ouija boards. I went, what's that? And I said, oh, it's this little thing. You know, you put your hands on it and you talk to spirit worlds. I said, oh, that sounds cool. So I went and, you know, people are saying, who will I marry? And, People were doing the thing and the boards floating around. I'm going, wow, this is pretty, this is pretty wild. Mmm, Susan. You're going to marry Susan. Ah! <laughs> Not Susan! You know, I thought, it wasn't me. I'm watching this happen. I go, this is really weird. Um, now I know there's demonic spirits connected to that. You know, I didn't know that at the time. I just thought it was weird. But here are people sitting around in a party doing drugs, which is pharmacology, which is also connected to the spirit world, and uh, doing demonic things, and I'm just wanting to have a good time, and I thought, I'm out of here, I'm gone, I left. But there's an open door here. You know, there's demons all around that stuff, and they're just looking for a brain to claw onto, and launch and grab into, and fall around. You know, I come from an alcoholic home. My father's an alcoholic. Ruined our family by it. Well, there's a generational problem here. You know, we talk to people who have problems with alcohol and drugs, and there's often that history in their family. I grew up around it, and I tell the story of my own family that the year my alcoholic father died, my oldest brother became an alcoholic. And uh, I, I'm, I'm amazed by that. I still stand back and go, wow, look at that generational spirit attached to my dad. No more dad. Spirit says, where am I going to go? Oldest son inherits the blessing. It's a scriptural principle. And my brother had sworn, I will never be like him. You know, that swearing and that anger and that bitterness just is another door. And the enemy said, oh, here's an open door. Bitterness, anger, hatred. And so, and I thought, that is, that's impressive. I'm going I'm to give credit where it's due. That's impressive. The devil is a foe to be weary of. He doesn't play fair. And he plays mean. And he only knows to heal. I, I interpret John 10.10 10, that he only shows up if there's an opportunity to kill, to steal, or destroy. If one of those things doesn't exist, it's not worth his time. And he could go from taking out an infant to taking out an adult in a split second and deceiving this group and causing inroads of destruction over here. I mean, he is nonstop, 24-7, right? He is a formidable foe, as we might say. However, Jesus said to you and I, and don't let me spend too much time on him without giving us this. I've given you all authority, all authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You may want to like, write that down. You know, Luke 10.19. I always get 10.19 and 19.10 confused because 19.10 is... It's 19.10. If somebody looked that up. Is that a Bible? See, now I'm confused. 10.19. Thank you. Thank you. 10.19. The Bible students over here have it. 
I give you all authority. I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Amen. Amen. 1019, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Okay. The authority is yours. But not if you yield your authority. While we're on this, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Absolutely important for us when we think about the fight we're in. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3, 4, and 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal or of the flesh, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're mighty through God to doing the same thing Jeremiah was called to do, and that was to pull down the strongholds. Strongholds are those things that have been formulated in your mind that are really anti-God. They're anti-Scripture. They're ways of living and maybe thought patterns. And, and th- you, you know, remember the story about the, the ham at Easter? And, you know, the, they're all, the family's all together. And a lot of you know the story. But talk about, here's a little simple story that illustrates a stronghold. Mom's in the kitchen. She gets the ham out. She puts it in the pan. And she cuts the end off. She takes the end and she sets it up on top of the ham. And then she puts it in the oven. And her daughter says, why do we always cut the end off the ham and do that? And her mother says, I don't know. But my mom always did it. And so I always do it. She's in the living room. Why don't you ask her? Hey, Grandma. How come we cut the end off the ham and put it up on top before we cook the ham? She goes, I don't know why your mom does it. But when I was cooking the ham, I just had a little oven. (laughs) And the pan was only this big. And the ham never quite fit, so I always cut the end off, put it up on top. That way I could cook the whole ham. We're talking about something that's now passed down three generations. If nobody would have asked the question, that young daughter would have cut the end off the ham and put it up, even if she'd had a rotisserie. She'd have figured out a way to get it in there. Okay? Now, that's a humorous story, but it's, it's not really a stronghold problem. I mean, it doesn't matter how you cook the ham. Unless you're Jewish, that's a problem. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I told myself last week I was going to try and be a little politically correct, a little more so. I evidently have not fully repented or pulled down the stronghold yet. Okay, so I'm sorry. But you can pass it from generation to generation, and it's just locked in there. It's locked in your mind. This is the way we do it. We always did it this way. My parents did it this way. My, you know, they all, we always, 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 always. And, and Jeremiah is called on to say, "Look, you need to pull down some of that stuff. You need to root out some of that stuff. You need to destroy it and throw it down, so that there can be a rebuilding and a new planting." This is it. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal; they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I don't know, maybe next year at Easter when you don't cut the end off the ham, you'll go, I beat the stronghold. <laughs> Hopefully you'll apply it more aptly than that. That there are things that we do or mannerisms that we have that we maybe just have carried from generation to generation or thought patterns that have been given to us by a world structure that tells us this is how you should think about God or this is how you should think about the devil. He doesn't exist. Scientifically, you can't prove God. Well, I don't know how they say that. I mean, just take a trip across the universe. How much science do you need to prove there's a God? But nonetheless, scientifically, there's no God. Scientifically, there's no Satan. You know what? I'm not living by science. I'm living by God. And God doesn't believe in atheists. Amen. He, he just refuses to accept them. 
And so we have to, verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Our thought life is extremely important to God. Let me give you a current illustration, and Una, bear with me because I'll pick on her a little bit. We rode together this morning to church. And at 9 o'clock, we're on the road. I'm, I'm kind of into the top-of-the-hour news, you know, KNX or wherever I can get it, because I figure three minutes is all I can handle. <laughs> and I said, oh, let's, <clears throat> let's take a blast now. And I turned it on, and for three minutes, we listened to, it's bad. We think it's bad. The next report was, it is bad. The report after that was, it is really bad. But don't go away, because we're coming back with the worst to come. (laughs) And that's the news. And I turned it off, three minutes later, turned it off, and she goes, why did we do that? I said, you know, it's preaching fodder. That's why we did that. I mean, if that's what you're tuned into, it reminds me that there are a lot of us that tune in and have the thing going all the time, and the CNN or the whatever, and it's just on. And you've got it pumping in all the time. And then somehow we believe that if we read a few verses of Scripture, we're going to purge all that. Hey, that stuff is shaping the way you think. That is giving you a worldview that is anti-God. That is giving you a foundation that is shaky to stand on. And Jeremiah is called into his generation and saying, look, root out, pull down, throw down, destroy those things so there can be a real building up. How can I believe? This is one of the challenges of church life. When we talk about church, because we've got our kids next door right now in in kid zone, we call it here, in nursery. And they're there for maybe an hour with some lesson or 45 minutes with a lesson. There are 168 hours in everybody's week. But we tend to think that if we bring our kids and drop them off in the Sunday school class or the kids' zone moment, then for that 45 minutes, somehow that's going to wash them clean of 167 and a quarter hours of whatever else is coming down the pike. We're fooling ourselves. There's got to be a lot more renewing of the mind going on. And one of the ways to renew your mind is to shut off some of the other sources that are constantly telling you anti-God things. I'm not saying be a recluse. I'm there at the top of the hour. I stay tuned in to what's happening in the world. But I believe the world's taking a turn in the wrong direction. And I'm the one that's got the answer. I've got the good news. You've got the good news. Why should I be chiming in with what the world always has to say? I'm supposed to pull down those strongholds. I'm supposed to rack my mind and get it right with God through His Word and renew my mind so that in any given circle of conversation, I'm the brightest hope. It doesn't matter if you're at a board meeting or a school meeting or a city council meeting or in a Sunday school classroom or in your living room with your kids. You should be the bright spot with the truth. And your mind should be fresh and renewed by the power of God. And with the mighty weapons of His, uh, of His array of weapons, praise, worship, the Word, prayer, fellowship, preaching, teaching, a lot of things are included in, in His arsenal of weaponry. And when you give yourself to those things, you're fortifying and rebuilding and replanting and re-strengthening your life in God. Then you can turn on the top of the hour, maybe get three minutes, and you got enough defenses to hold out. I'm not sure how well I do with an hour news broadcast. I mean, I'd be mopping myself off the floor. Not because I would be overwhelmed and overcome by it, But I would feel so sad for the world I live in. I would feel like I can't do anything but pray now. I've got to pray. I've got to pray for at least a few hours to try and counter. You know, I would have all those people on my heart. I can't just tune in and find a busload of kids that all died in some accident and just move on and have lunch. I don't want to become insensitive. I don't want to become shallow. I don't want to become disconnected from real living people as though they're discardable and who cares and here's the next thing and have a little advertising for juicy fruit or something. I, I, you know, it doesn't work for me. So, applying the weapons of our warfare is powerful through God. Pull down strongholds. John 15. And I think I'll run for the end zone on this one, okay? Is it the right season? Oh, I'm sorry. I'll try and hit a home run with this. 
Maybe I should just stick to NASCAR. That's usually running all the time. Right? Oh, let's put the pedal to the metal here. Okay. Go fast, turn left. Here we go. I know that much. And I remember going to the drags, drags with these guys. I had never been to the drag races. And they said, bring you, you know, gotta have some earplugs. Earplugs? What for? You know, I could take it. No, you need some. You probably need some. Man, them cars are, the early ones are taking off and the, the homeboys are doing their thing. And I go, time for the earplugs? Oh, no. Oh, really? Okay. It's pretty loud. No, no. Not time. And the fuelers came out, man. I said, now. I could not believe the roar. I mean, it just goes right through your body. That was so exhilarating. <laughs> I thought, man, take the earplugs out. This is, wow. That thing goes by and says, whoa. I like that. That was cool. Has nothing to do with this message, of course. <laughs> Let's go to, when's the drags? <laughs> John 15, verse 1. Jesus speaking. I'm the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. And I would say this specifically to those of us who have been in the encounter. You're clean. Because of the word Jesus has spoken to you, you've got a new day. You do have a great foundation for your family. You've got a great day for opening up and walking with Jesus. I've been singing this song all weekend. It's an old tune. I won't sing it. I'll just quote the words. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. Old things are passed away. I've been born again. More than a conqueror. That's who I am. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. And even after knowing Jesus for more than 30 years, this weekend I feel like I've just been born again. I'm not saying don't mess your theology up. I didn't get resaved and all that. I'm just saying that there's a freshness that comes with being with Jesus that says, you know what? Even yesterday now is behind me. I woke up today as a brand new day. Everything is forward. And look at all that I have to take with me now. All the understanding and the building up of God and the Word and friends and, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, I've got everything to my advantage that tomorrow is going to be bright. But I'm going to live fully in this day. And I'm going to be that creation and be an example of Jesus. And you should too. We're here to bear fruit. I like this version in verse 2 better when it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. You know, the vine dresser comes along looking at the vine. Here's one laying in the dirt. And, and we've often preached that, you know, if you're not bearing fruit, he's going to throw you away. And that comes later. But if you're still attached you know, if you're the branch and he's the vine, you're still attached, but you're laying in the dirt. He's not looking to cut you off. He's looking to lift you up and wash off those little leaves and be gentle with that and tie it up a little higher where the sun's shining and get it back bearing fruit again and see if he can redeem it. And that's what he does with us. And if you're bearing fruit, he says he prunes you so that you can bear more fruit. You're clean through the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me now and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. Now those, those are branches that have disconnected themselves from the vine. They're laying aside. They say, I'm not going to have any part of this vine. I'm going to disconnect myself. That's what it says. Those that don't abide in him are disconnected. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Discipleship is really the key issue that we face coming out of an encounter. This is what am I going to do next? For all of us, it's the thing we face about the rest of today and tomorrow. What am I going to do with my life? How am I going to be a disciple of Jesus? How can I follow the one who said, if you follow me and keep my words, then my words will come and you, you, you'll be my disciples and I will set you free by that. 
You'll know the truth and it'll make you free. It'll act upon you and cause you to live free. I want to know how to be a disciple of Jesus. How can I be a follower of Jesus? How can I be the guy that's got his nose in Jesus' back going wherever he's going? Hand in hand with him. Verse 16, the same chapter. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I pointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. He may give you. These things I command you that you'll love one another. He chose us. We really didn't choose him. You know, when we say, I found God. You know, the sinner standing next to you, he said, didn't know he was lost. I said, well, you know what I mean? No, I don't know what you mean. I mean, actually, he found us. He chased us down. He's the great pit bull of heaven. You know, launched onto you and said, you're mine and I'm keeping you forever. And it took some of us a while to respond to that and say, Lord, I, I surrender. Here's my life. Take it. Use it for your glory. He says, here's what I need to do now. I need to root out, pull down, throw down, and destroy some of the things that are in you. And you need to get alongside and help with that. You need to turn some things off and quit fast or feasting on some of the things of the world that shape your mind in ways that are anti-God. You need to disassociate with some things, maybe even some people. Okay? We're to be friends of sinners, but we're not to be sinners with them. Jesus always went in and ate with sinners, but he didn't stay there. He usually brought them out with him. That's our role. We're to be Christians, Christ-like. And so discipleship begins, and we look for the transformation of our minds, and we get built up in God. And he says, here's my calling for you. I chose you so that you could bear fruit. We have to ask the question, where's the fruit? Is anyone being saved? Are there more atoms in the house? Am I leading people into a relationship with God or am I becoming one of the hindrances of them coming to know Jesus? Is my life of shining and a bright light, am I still salty enough to make people thirsty for God? Or am I just running down hot and heavy with the rest of the world, downhill flowing with everything that's flowing downhill? Who am I? We're supposed to be swimming upstream. We sang this morning, I want to go against the grain. I want to swim upstream. I want to cut across the rude realities of this world with truth and hope. And I want to bear fruit. We're supposed to be fruitful. And that doesn't just mean the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, temperance, faith. And I probably missed one again. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a pretty good record of missing one. I do the same thing with the seven dwarfs. <laughs> it doesn't matter where I start. I always miss one. And it's funny because the next time I start, I might start with one I missed last time and I'll miss a different one. <laughs> but the fruit of your life is not just the fruit of the Spirit. That's the character and nature of God that's living out through you. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, you know, all those things. Those are fruit. Those are character traits that should be in all of our lives. The fruit is literally new people coming to know Christ. New people coming into a discipleship moment with Jesus. And all of us are old enough, even if we're one day old in Jesus, we're old enough to bring somebody else with us. I just want to encourage us this morning that, like Jeremiah, we might say to ourselves, there are some things we should consider in our life that need to be pulled down. They're strongholds. You know, stronghold is not immediately obvious. It's a way of thinking. The next time the Holy Spirit interrupts your thinking and says, hmm, how about that? Are you cutting the end off the ham for a reason? You know, do you say that just because you've always said it and you've never corrected yourself? Let me bring correction. Let me bring discipline. Let me bring shaping. Let me help you pull a few things down that will make room for new planting and new building. Because I want you to be fruitful. I want you to bear fruit and fruit that remains. And, you might, and by this my Father's glorified and you'll be my disciples. Discipleship is where we're headed. And this whole encounter, just to, for some of you who are maybe visiting with us, is a piece of a training process that we want to use, an equipping process that starts with accepting Jesus and being baptized in water and filled with the Holy Spirit and getting some things into our lives before we go to an encounter weekend. Then we do encounter weekend. Coming out of that, there's another piece called, we just call it post-encounter. And it's a follow-up process of discipleship for getting strong in the Lord and building your own devotional life and knowing how to do 
uh, some of the spiritual disciplines that are necessary. We use a book for that called Appointment with the King, and we ask for somebody in the in the lighthouse or in the cell group to to disciple you through that process for a number of weeks so that your discipleship with Christ becomes extremely solid. After that, we move into a discovery weekend kind of a thing and where we help you understand who you are in God and how he made you according to Romans chapter 12 and some of the gifts and graces of God and how they're active in your life and why you are the way you are. It's fun doing the discovery thing because sometimes we get husbands and wives that are looking across the table like, well, now I get it. <laughs> you know? I understand a little more now why I'm the way I am and she's the way she is. I remember doing it with a room full of pastors in Mexico. And and at the end of the thing, we put the four different personality types in four different corners of this room we're in. And I, I will never forget standing there and seeing this intercessory pastor's wife. I mean, intercession was just, it was her life. And he was real analytical and beaverish for those of you who know what that means you know i mean it was just everything made sense it was logical and you could number it and draw it and she's out there in space with this intercession and prophetic stuff and they just never really got along as husband and wife and leaders in the church we did this simple little thing with them she's over there he's over here she's crying her eyes out he's crying his eyes out and he's understanding for the first time in his marriage and his ministry why he's so different from his wife you could have just gone Uno, dos, tres. And they'd have run together in the middle of the room and celebrated. But from now on, it's going to be different. He's going to curtail a little bit of his logic, chase a little more of her spirituality. It's a beautiful thing. We do that with people and help them understand themselves and how God's made them. And then we look at membership in the body of Christ here at Christian Center. But the whole goal is so that you come out the other end as a leader. And you can lead other people and bear fruit and fruit that will remain and that you too could be a leader of a cell group in this community because we've got a big community to conquer. And they're out there waiting to hear the good news. And we've got to get the salt out of the salt shaker. We've got to get the light out of the lighthouse and in the community where it belongs, okay? That's as far as I'm going to go. Now I'm going to lay down and take a nap. <laughs> right here. No. Father... I love these encounter weekends. They're just so demanding that we grow up. Lord, they deplete us in our physical strength, but that's good. Because when we're weak, you're strong. Lord, this morning I pray that you will take the words we've spoken and weave them together in our spirit. Holy Spirit, graft them in those things that have been heard this morning where they need to be grafted in the hearts of your people. Fasten them there and cause them to grow up into fruitfulness. Lord, I speak it in Jesus' name that life will come out of this message for us, that we will have strength in the Spirit of God to pull down those strongholds that you remind us of even in this week. Holy Spirit, would you be willing? I know you are. But would you come and begin to correct and disciple us? When those words come out of our mouth or those actions come up in our bodies or our thought life begins to move us in a direction that is contrary to you and we haven't recognized it before, would you correct us? Stop us. Bring it to our attention and help us with your power to mortify the deeds of the flesh and to pull down the strongholds that have been lodged in our minds. And then bring to us a freshness of reality in your word and in worship and in prayer and in fellowship that will strengthen us to be more like Christ. We want to be the branches. You be the vine. Help us to abide in you in Jesus' name. Amen.